Pastor. <laughs> Amen. At least it ain't Obamacare. Amen. I appreciate the spirit of the Lord that we feel in the house tonight. And, uh, man, enjoy this testimony. Sister Mary could have just picked up the microphone and preached. Man, a lot of meat in what she was saying. You know, we we all we Pentecostal. We love. Uh, the, the anointing oil, the olive oil, before it can be used, it's got to be crushed man, for, for that juice to flow. And, uh, man, uh, that's good. Appreciate the testimonies tonight. Appreciate what the Lord has been doing. And uh, appreciate all of you mothers on Mother's Day. Uh, you know, I started thinking this morning, or actually this afternoon, I was writing a post on my mom's Facebook, and I kind of cracked myself up as I was writing out the message. I was like, um, you know, Happy Mother's Day, Mom. Without you, I don't know, or I wouldn't be here. Something along those lines. And I thought, well, I guess every son can say that about his mom. Amen. If it wasn't for her, amen, we wouldn't be here. Um, but I can tell you that is true in more ways than one. Amen. If it wasn't for her and her prayers, I wouldn't be here tonight. And uh, I, I told this morning the story to my Sunday school class that I've shared many times before about my mom uh, in rebellion. I was away from the Lord and uh, she had about had a, as much of me as she could stand and I'd had about as much of her as I could stand her so I thought at the time and she told me, she said, uh, you're, you're packing your bags tonight. She said, the church is going to a youth camp in the morning. You're either going to the youth camp or you're getting out of my house. And I looked at her in a rebellious state, and I said, well, I'll pack my bags, and I'll be gone. You won't have to worry about seeing me anymore. And uh, I heard my mom cry. And if that was one thing I could not stand, it was to see my mom cry. And uh, she went in a room, and I, I stormed in there and said, if it'll shut you up, I said, I'll, I'll pack my bags and go to that youth camp. I said, but I ain't getting saved. I don't want the Lord. He took my dad, and I said, I don't understand. And I said, I want nothing to do with him. And she said, well, if you'll just go, I'm going to be praying on my end for him to do the work. Two nights later, got saved. Two nights after that, got filled with the Holy Ghost. And here I am tonight for two reasons. One, because of the grace and the mercy of the Lord. And two, because of the prayers of a godly mom. And I am thankful for her. You moms, I know there's countless testimonies like that in this house. If it wasn't for you and your prayers that we wouldn't be here. And, um, as we were in Sunday school, I made the class go around. I said, tell me something you'll never forget about your mom. And uh, started naming things. And mamas, it would have made you proud, some of the things that they said. I said, I did that for one reason. I want you never to forget it what your parents, what your mom has done for you. And when you're a child, when you're a parent, you have children. Be that same godly influence in them that they have been for you. So Bible Way has been blessed with some godly moms, and we honor you today and thank you for all that you have done. I mean, in the book of Ephesians, chapter number 6 tonight, we're going to read one verse of Scripture and the first two words of uh, another. That's Ephesians chapter 6 and 13. Very familiar passage of Scripture. There's so much that you could preach here, I could probably preach another five-week series right here out of these verses of Scripture, but I ain't going to do that. I'm going to try my best to not hold you long tonight. I said try being the key word. But uh, Ephesians 6 and 13, very familiar, says, Wherefore take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, stand therefore. And having done all to stand, stand therefore. I'm going to preach a simple thought tonight on the thought, standing up or standing down. Standing up or standing down, really, when the final analysis 
You're either one or the other. I want to stand up for the Lord tonight. Be counted among the righteous. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We are so thankful for the privilege that we have once again to come and to be in your house to worship you. Lord, we thank you. God, for your presence that we've already been made to feel. God, we could turn out the lights, we could close the doors, and we could leave and saying that it has been good to have been in the presence of the Lord. But Father, the light has fallen for the preaching of the Word, and we believe that the preaching takes the preeminence, Lord. And I'm asking now that you would anoint, that you would touch, that you would help in this house tonight. God, that you would help the church in this evil hour. God, in this untoward, wicked un our generation, Father, to stand up when others are standing down. Father, anoint us now, we ask, as we endeavor to preach your word. Father, we'll be careful to give you all the glory, the honor, and the praise for all you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says amen. amen. And amen. In the warfare between good and evil, there is a need for standing for the right. Uh, I remember the old saying as a child, my parents taught me very early on, you've got to stand for something or you'll fall for anything. In this generation, I see a lot of people that's falling for anything. For whatever reason, too, it's whether they're too scared or too um, weak or cowardly or whatever the case may be, to stand for right, that's, uh, we're seeing the product of of individuals that are falling for anything, anything that comes out of Washington, it seems like they'll swallow it hook, line, and sinker. You let a, a doctor in Washington get a microphone and he can flip, flop, and uh, change his mind and direction ten different times in ten days, but whatever he says is gospel. Why is that? Because there's a lot of people falling for deception. Falling for anything because people have failed to stand for truth. In this hour, we cannot remain neutral. We cannot remain on the sidelines. I, I'm a history buff, and I, I love studying and reading about World War II history, and it doesn't take very long at the, the start of that war with Adolf Hitler as he was looking to expand his socialist empire. He was, had a sight set upon France and invading and overtaking France, but to get to France, he had to go through Belgium. And so he... Uh, had a, an agreement, a gentleman's agreement with Belgium that was gullible enough to believe, a ruthless dictator that believed him at his word that said he, will, he won't invade us. That even though he's looking to expand, he is going to leave us alone. Well, after they struck that agreement, it wasn't just a few days later, the Panzer tanks was rolling in and Belgium had fallen to the Germans. They were lulled to sleep by a false sense of neutrality, of thinking that everything was good, that Hitler was going to leave them alone, but they were caught asleep. And ultimately their, their government and their people failed. I can tell you the devil operates the same exact way. Amen. There's no neutral in the battle of good versus evil. I mean, you're either standing on the Lord's side and fighting for Him, are you standing with the empire and the forces of hell and you're fighting against Him? I mean, there, there is no middle ground. There is no towing. Both sides are straddling the fence. You're either, the Bible says, you're either going to be hot or you're going to be cold. If you're lukewarm, the Word of God says that He will spew us out of His mouth. It is our duty to choose to stand on the Lord's side. Whatever we do in life, uh, your occupation may not matter what you do in life, what you choose to do. God has given you a free will. Uh, it matters not how much money is in your bank account, but one thing is sure. Uh, amen. When you are counted, you best be counted uh, on the side of the righteous. Uh, amen. You have got to be found on the side uh, of the right. Uh, listen, the test of standing for the Lord uh, is that when others are falling apostate around us, that we remain faithful to Him. When everyone else turns aside and stands down, we as the church and the, the chosen, the called out ones of the Lord Jesus Christ, we must remain faithful. If there's one thing that God demands out of His church, that is faithfulness. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give unto thee a crown 
of life. Amen. Be thou faithful over a few things and I will make you ruler over many. If we want to be promoted and elevated in the kingdom of God, it starts with faithfulness. It starts with being faithful to God in the small things and He will make us, amen, rulers over many. Weak natures will always go with a multitude. Amen. But it takes someone with intestinal fortitude to stand up for what's right. Even if the crowd is against us. Even when the crowd far exceeds and outnumbers, amen, the righteous, the righteous must continue to stand on the Lord's side. And at times we must continue to stand even if it means standing alone. Nobody likes to stand alone to be the, the oddball, to be the black sheep, to be the one that goes against the grain. Well, I can tell you the gospel always cuts against the grain. The gospel always goes against the mainstream. And there may be time like a salmon, you got to swim upstream. And you got to stand even when you stand right by yourself. Listen, there's times in family functions and family get-togethers, everyone else may be doing their own thing. You just make sure you're doing God's thing. You make sure you're standing for what's right even if you have to stand alone. Amen. You must stand when no one else is willing to stand. Amen. Thirdly, being on the Lord's side carries with it certain obligations. If you're going to stand amongst the righteous and stand amongst the faithful, the obligation of the faithful requires personal consecration. Being consecrated and holy toward God. The obligation of renouncing earthly ties so far as inconsistent with the higher allegiance. Listen, I'm glad to be a citizen of the United States of America tonight, the most blessed country that has ever been. But far superseding my allegiance to America is my allegiance to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Presidents may come and Presidents may fall, uh, but my allegiance is not with the president, uh, not with the government, uh, and not with a mortal man. Uh, oh, but it's with the supreme sovereign God uh, of the universe. My allegiance uh, and my loyalty, uh, amen, lies with Him. Uh, let Congress pass whatever law they want to pass. Uh, let the Supreme Court rule it up uh, or rule it down. Uh, my allegiance is not with man's law, uh, but my allegiance is with God's law. And if we're going to stand amongst the righteous, then we must renounce earthly ties and pledge a higher allegiance to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And lastly, we carry the obligation of doing the Lord's work. Listen, if you were to join forces with the United States military tonight, you were to stick up your hand and give your oath of uh, service to the United States military your days of doing things your way are over with. It don't matter how high you go, there's always going to be somebody giving you direct orders. And if you don't do it their way, on their time schedule, when they want it, how they want it, you're going to be doing some up downs, some PTs, some fall-ins, fall-outs, running, swimming, doing whatever you have to do until you learn to get it right. Amen. It's not about doing things our way, but when we stand among the righteous, we have the obligation of doing the Lord's work and doing it His way. Amen. Not what we want, but what He wants and when He wants it. Amen. So when we're standing for the Lord, I believe that there's three things that we must possess, and I'm going to go through these as quick as I can tonight. But number one, if we're going to stand for the Lord, it requires a sense of of courage to stand for what's right. The easy thing is to cave in and stand down and to blend in with the crowd or with our surroundings. Just blend in with the rest of the world. You know, that's the same spirit that Adam and Eve had when they fell in the garden. What was the first thing that they did? That when their eyes were open and they realized that they were naked, the Bible says that they took fig leaves and tried to cover their nakedness. They tried to camouflage themselves in with the world. 
blend in with their surroundings, thinking that they knew and uh, more than God and that they could outsmart Him. They were thinking that they could just blend in. And he would never know where they were. But when God came down in the cool of the day to talk to Him, said, Adam, where art thou? Where art thou? He found them. So they had taken together the fig leaves. And the first thing that God did was He made for them aprons. And uh, I, I believe that He killed a lamb and took the skin and made for them aprons. He said, I've invested too much time into making you for you to just try to blend in with this world. You're trying to stand down. Amen. When I've called you to stand out and be different from the world. Amen. To come out from among the world and to be separate. Amen. The, the, the uh, uh, false lie that we can just blend in with the world and our surroundings. Amen. It's nothing new. That's what they did in the garden. But it takes courage to stand for what's right and to be different. B.H. Clendenin says it takes more courage to stand for what's right than it does to fight a war. It takes more courage to live for God and to say no when everyone else says yes. Listen, in this God ungodly hour, the church, more than ever before, must possess a spirit of courage. If you were to take this King James Bible tonight and look through the pages from Genesis to Revelation, to my best estimate is that you'll find some 500 times the word fear in various forms is found in this Bible. Some 500 times he is warning against the spirit of fear. And then 80 commandments are in the Word of God to fear not. If God said something one time in His Word, it's important. We better take note of it. But if He says it 80 times, He's stressing something. He's trying to get a point across. And that point tonight is to fear not. To not be afraid. Amen. To not cower down. But to be courageous. To stand firm in the faith. To stand up and be counted among the righteous. 80 times you'll find it. That he says to fear not. In fact, the spirit of fear, the Bible says is going to increase in the end times. The Bible says in Luke 21 verse 26 that men's heart will begin to fail them for fear when they see and what's looking at what's coming upon the earth for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. But even in the midst of that uh, perilous time, uh, God still demands courage from His church uh, to not fall out, uh, amen, but to fall in and to stand uh, among the righteous. He told us in His Word uh, that He has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Amen. Power to stand up for what's right. Power to stand up for Him. Power to be courageous when the world has become cowards. Courage. If there was anybody in the Bible that had a reason to be fearful, I believe Joshua was one such man. Put yourself in Joshua's shoes. Moses had just died. His mentor was gone. He was now the leader of some two to six million people that were looking to him, depending upon him for direction. Numbers 27 made it clear that he was to succeed Moses and the day was now here, but there was no direction. They were still in the wilderness. And he, of all people, knew the giants that were waiting on him on the other side of the river. He and Caleb and the ten other spies, they saw the giants of Anak. They saw the, the giants in the land where ten of them came back with the evil report and said that we are but grasshoppers in their sight. If, if he was, or in our own eyes, were grasshoppers, if anybody had a reason to be fearful, Joshua had a reason to be fearful. It's human nature for man to fear what they cannot control. This is man's natural reaction to circumstances. But we can find in the first chapter of Joshua chapter number 1, three times God spoke to him and told him to be of a good courage and to be strong. He said to be strong and of a good courage. Only be thou strong and very courageous. 
He said in verse 9, Have I not commanded thee to be strong and of good courage? Be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed. Despite the circumstances, Joshua, despite what you see, and despite what you know, I mean, let a spirit of courage take charge. Let a spirit of courage take control. Don't fear what you don't know. Don't fear even what you see and what you do know. But know that the God on the inside of you is greater than the spirit of fear that's on the outside of you. Amen. No, no matter what comes tomorrow, know that who holds tomorrow. And he is stressing to Joshua. And I believe he's stressing to the church today to be strong and of good courage. Don't fear tomorrow. Don't fear what's happening in the world around you. Don't lose heart and don't lose hope, but to stand firm. Amen. To put your feet down, anchored upon the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, I refuse to be given over to a spirit of fear. I refuse to be given over to a spirit of doubt, but I'm going to stand firm, anchored in Christ, and I'm going to take it at his word and I am going to be strong and have a good courage. Courageous. Not cowardly. I'll never forget I was preaching along these lines some times ago when God dropped in my heart. Courage is not the absence of fear. But courage is one realizes that the cause that they're fighting for is greater than the fear that they may experience. Courage is having faith in your heart in a cause that's greater than the fear that the outside forces of hell would try to invade our minds with and try to control our lives with. Listen, man's natural reaction is to be fearful over what they see and over what they cannot control. But fear must never override our faith. The second we allow fear to overcome our faith is the second that we're standing on sinking sand. What happened with Peter? As long as his eyes were anchored on Jesus, he was able to walk on water. Absolute impossibility. I've tried it. And it don't work. I can't do that. I'll never forget. I was a, a young kid. I just heard that story in children's church in Sunday school about Peter walking on water. I tried that. I sunk. And I've got a news flash for you. So will you. It's impossible. But with God, all things are possible. As long as Peter had his eyes fastened on Christ, he was able to do the greatest impossibility in this world. He denied every uh, ounce of physics, every biological and uh, ounce of chemistry equation. All of that was made null and void because of his faith. When he stepped out in faith and his eyes were fastened on Christ, but the second that he took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on his way, the waves, the second that he took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on his surroundings. The second that he took his eyes off of Jesus and put it on his problems. And fear began to grip his heart. Immediately that man began to sink. Immediately. Amen. His surroundings engulfed him. Physics took over. And Peter began to sink. Listen. The fear, our surroundings, our environment, the storms, it must never override our faith. As a matter of fact, in those times when we're facing the impossibilities and the difficulties of life, that's all the more reason for us to keep our eyes on Jesus. That's all the more the reason for us to stay anchored in Him, to not be persuaded are dissuaded by our circumstances. Amen. But to stay anchored in Him. Listen, faith always demands courage. When the doctor looks at you and says it's stage four, 
Courage to believe God, amen, must be greater than courage to believe what the doctor is saying. Amen. Courage to wait on God depending despite mounting bills. Courage to say with Job, though he may slay me yet, I will trust him. Courage to look at the world and proclaim that the world is not my home. I'm just a pilgrim and a stranger passing through seeking a city which is to come. I'm preaching to you tonight about godly courage. If you're going to stand in this hour, it demands courage. It demands courage to meet. Amen. The evil forces of hell face, face forward in this hour head on. Amen. That I refuse to give in. I refuse to compromise. I refuse to stand down. But I will stand for Jesus and let the world go by. Listen, it's going to take just as much courage for us to stand in our generation as it did for Joseph to run from Potiphar's wife. It's going to take just as much courage for us as it did for the three Hebrew children to refuse to bow to the golden image and said that I may burn, but I will not bow. It's going to take just as much faith for us as it did for Daniel to continue praying despite hearing the roaring lines from the pit. It's going to take as much courage for us as it did for James to face the sword that he knew would bring his demise. All of those were in situations that demanded courage. And God will not take anything less from us than an absolute body that's filled with courage. Courage to stand. And then the duty... Of the Christian soldiers, there's five reasons I believe very quickly that we can stand courageously. Number one, we must not lose sight that the Lord is with us and He will not fail us. That's reason to be courageous. That's reason to stand firm knowing that the Lord is with me. The Lord God, mighty in battle. Hallelujah. The same God that spoke into absolutely nothing and made absolutely everything. That God is fighting for me. And that God is with me. And the Word of God says that He will go with us always, even until the end of the world. Why should I fear when God is fighting for me? Number two, reasons we should be courageous. We fight in His name and in His power, whereas our enemies fight in their name and in their power. Oh, hallelujah. I could preach a while right there. Amen. The power of the Lord. Listen, I'm not standing on my own strength or abilities tonight. And you're here tonight, not by your own strength and your own ability. But if you're born again, amen, if you're filled with a good Holy Ghost, you're living in a power source and in a realm. Amen. But this world knows absolutely nothing about. And the power within us is greater than the power against us. If God be for me, then who can be against me? If he's fighting for me and I'm fighting in his name, I should be courageous. As great as the United States military is, when we go to war and we fight a battle, we fight in the name of the United States of America. But can I tell you something? As great as our military is and God has enabled us to be victorious, there is battles and overall wars that our military came up on the short end of the stick on. Thank God we've been victorious over many fronts. You read the, the stories of the American Revolution, Brother Meeks. Battle after battle after battle, the colonists lost. The ones that the father of our nation, George Washington, it seemed like for the first two years of the American Revolution, it was casualty after casualty after casualty. Thank God He turned the tide and enabled them to be victorious. But listen, amen, when I'm fighting for the Lord, I'm fighting for a commander that never has lost a battle. And He never will lose a battle. He's incapable of losing. Thank God for our generals, but they're capable of, of failing. 
They're capable of coming up with the wrong plan at the wrong time and, 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 and victory slipping through our fingertips. They're man. They're mortal. Oh, but in this supernatural, in this spiritual realm and arena, my commander-in-chief, my captain and king, he never has lost and he never will lose. Oh, hallelujah. I can stand courageous in allegiance to him knowing that no matter what I face, church, we will be victorious. We've read the end of the book. We know what happens and we win. Hallelujah. Because of that, we can be courageous. Our battle is just and we fight for a just cause. We fight with enemies that have been spoiled, whose weapons are blunted, and whose power is limited. Oh, but we fight with an army that has all power. Amen. Whose weapons are sharp, sharper than any two-edged sword, and whose power is most unlimited. And lastly, we are promised victory if we'll just fight. If we'll just fight. If we'll just stand for the right. God has already promised us the victory. But thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Listen, He's already made us victorious. Tonight I am a victor, not a victim. Amen. I mean, I'm not a victim to, from what I've been through, but I've been made an overcomer by the blood of the Lamb and by the word of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what He's done for me in the past gives me courage to stand no matter what I face in the future. Standing up or standing down, if you're going to stand up, it requires courage. Number two, if you're going to stand, it requires commitment. Commitment. I was watching a, a doctor documentary not too long ago. I told you I'm on love studying history of World War II of Hitler's generals. And as Hitler's army was expanded, it expanded all the way up to the Battle of Stalingrad. But after Stalingrad, that was the tide of the war. Never again was Hitler on the offensive. He was from that moment on, he was on the defensive. But it seemed like day after day after day, top general after top general after top general started defecting, started going their own way and doing their own thing because they realized that their cause was not just. And they realized that this thing is just a, a ticking time bomb. It wasn't going to be very much longer to the whole thing, the whole plot, the whole ploy fell apart and blew apart in our faces. And thank God in the end that, that good prevailed and that evil was squashed. But in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you expect to fight on His side, there is no room for defections in the army of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hitler was fighting for an unjust cause. And when people's eyes were opened, amen, they started leaving him by the droves. You and I, we're fighting for a very just cause. In the battle of good versus evil, in the battle of right versus wrong. Amen. And there are no room for defections in the kingdom of God. But we must stand courageous and we must stand committed. If you're to look up that word commitment, it means the state or an instance of being obligated or emotionally impelled to a commitment or to a cause. It literally means for you to give yourself over to a cause that is greater than the singular cause of self. The greatest act of commitment I believe that we can find and the natural is the bond between husband and wife. Where two are commit themselves to one another and two literally are joined together and made one. Listen, when I made vows before God and before a congregation to, to my wife, I made those vows because I loved her. I made those vows because she was my world and can I tell you, she still is. And I still love her. And I still care for her. I am committed 
unto her. I, I made this statement I was preaching, I guess, a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and I told her, uh, I said when we were dating and I was in love, head over heels with her, I would have crawled to California just to be with her. She asked me the question after church. She said, you said you would do that when we were dating. Would you still do that now? Not only would I crawl to California, I would swim to Hawaii. Amen. To be with her. Why? Because I'm committed to her. I love her. When I, I made those vows. I made those vows that I would never cheat, that I would never abandon, that I wouldn't run around. I wouldn't abuse her. Why? Because I love her. Because I care for her. Because she's my world. I am committed to her and committed to my family. Listen, that is the same exact commitment that Christ demands from His church. Amen. Committed to Him. Amen. The greatest act of commitment is the act of obedience. Amen. The act of obedience to Him and to His will. Listen, if I'm committed to my wife and would do all that for her, how much more should I be committed to the things of God? How much more should I be committed to the ways of God and to Him? Listen, we must pledge our commitment to Him, to His Word, to His Spirit, and to His way, to where nothing else matters in this life but Him. But Him. Listen, if I'm to be committed and to make a pledge to keep myself to my wife, I must be just as committed to the Lord. Four things the commitment to God is going to demand. Number one, that we are committed to Him and to Him alone. We preached a couple Wednesday nights ago about the blessing of the Lord versus the blessings of the Lord. So many people seek after the blessings that they miss the blessing, which is Him. When I've committed to Him, I'm not committed to what He can do or what benefits there are for the union and the commitment. I'm committed to Him and to Him alone because I love Him. Blessings come with the package. Blessings come with the deal. Blessings come as a byproduct of having Him. But make no mistake about it, I would still love Him. I would still love the blessing without all of the blessings. Amen. Commitment to Him demands that we are committed to Him and to Him alone. Number two, I'm only not, on, not only committed to Him, I'm committed to His cause. It was David when he was uh, facing Goliath. When all of Israel was cowering down at the side of the giant, he looked at him and said, Is there not a cause? Is there not a cause why you're fighting? Are you just going through the motions? Are you just tiptoeing through the tulips? Are you scared of one man that's keeping you from enjoying the blessings of the Lord? Is there not a cause? Is there not a word from the Lord? That would make you want to stand up and fight. And fight for the right. Listen as the church. We must not only be committed to Him. We must be committed to His cause. Amen. The, the battle. Amen. For the right. Not, it, it goes further. Not only are we committed to His cause. But we as individuals must be committed to His will. He has a will and a plan for every one of our lives. For every one of us, He has a will and a plan that nobody else could do and nobody else could accomplish. But He sets His will out in front of us. And if we're going to stand for Him, we must be committed to that will. We must be committed to His ways. Lastly, we must be committed to His imminent return. The belief and the the assurance that we have that He is soon coming and it could be at any moment, at any time, at any second, amen, that He could split the eastern skies and call His church away and the church be raptured up and the church be raptured out. Listen, Brother Meeks, I am committed to that. I'm committed to that realization. 
I only believe in that, but every day that I wake up, I look for that. I long for that. Amen. More than anything in my life, I desire that to make it when He comes. Amen. To make it in the rapture of the church when the church is called away. If you expect to be in that number, you've got to commit your life to that cause. You've got to commit yourself to that reality. A marathon runner doesn't just wake up one day and decide, I'm going to run a marathon and strap on his new balances and strike out and run 26.2 miles. It doesn't happen that way. So for some, it takes years of investment. It starts with a 3K, then a 5K. Then there's certain foods that you can and can't eat. You've got to discipline yourself. You've got to commit yourself to every day running. You've got to commit yourself to every day, whether you feel like it or whether you don't. You're going to get up, you're going to train with a goal of that marathon in mind. They're committed to it. And if they cross the finish line of that marathon, they do not do it on accident. The marathon is grueling. The marathon is, it, it's, it's all that they can do sometimes to put one foot in front of the other. I have a childhood friend that runs marathons. She, she loves it. She trains for that year round. I say more power to her. Amen. But there's, for her, there's no sense of accomplishing like setting a goal and crossing the finish line. I've seen videos of those marathon runners that within the, the last mile, their body is cramping up. There's some that are literally passed or uh, fallen out, so dehydrated by the heat. And they're literally doing all that they can do to crawl on their hands and, and feet, on their arms and legs to try to get across that finish line. Listen, that same picture is the same picture of commitment that the church might have. Must have. Amen. To set a goal, I'm going to make heaven my home. And I don't care what it takes. Day after day after day, I am committed to the cause. Oh, hallelujah. I'm committed. Amen. To hearing Him say, well done. One day, it matters not if there's some things that I've got to take on, I'll take them on. It matters not if there's some things I've got to take off, I'll take it off. It matters not what I do, but day after day, listen, I'm disciplined myself to the cause that I'm going to hear Him say, well done. One day, listen, there's some marathon runners that cross it in a sprint. They catch their second wind. And that last mile is their fastest miles. Then there's others that's crawling on their hands and knees. Amen. Just doing all that they can do to get there. Listen, it matters not how you get there. You just better make sure that you do. You better make sure that you cross the finish line. And you hear him say, well done. Thou good. And thou faithful servant. It's not going to come to the slothful. It's not going to come to the lazy, but it's going to be to those that are committed to the cause of hearing those words. Well done, my child. If you're going to stand on the side of Christ, you must be courageous. You must be committed. And it's going to take those acts. There's one more thing that it's going to take. It's going to take courage commitment, and it will take the comforter that's walking beside us. It will take the comforter. John 14 and 16, I will pray the Father and He will give unto you another comforter that He might abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth Him not, neither knoweth Him. But ye know Him, for He dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. That word comfort, Kirsten, if you'll come help me, I'm done. Does not mean the comforter in the sense that your heart is broken and somebody comes along and puts their hand around you and says, God bless your heart. That's not what the comforter means in that sense. In the Greek, that word comforter is the word parakletos or paraclete 
which literally means one who comes alongside and helps you carry the load. Yes. It means one who helps you carry your burdens and helps you carry your load when you can't even carry it yourself. It means one who pleads another's cause or one who is an intercessor. And I can tell you the Holy Ghost is that and more. He's come alongside the church to help us home. And if you expect to make it into that city and hear Him say, well done, you can't make it on your own. You can't make it on your own. Number one, you don't know how to get there on your own. How to get to heaven. There's not a, uh, you can't go to the gas station at my $3.95 Rand McNally and expect to find directions to heaven. You can't plug the address in your GPS and expect to make it into heaven. There's only one road map, and that is the B-I-B-L-E. This book was spiritually written, and it must be spiritually discerned. It takes the Holy Ghost leading and guiding your every step, amen, to enable you to make it into that city. The only coordinates that we have to get there, the only guide that we have to get there is the Spirit of God. And if you expect to stand, and you expect to stand until that day that the church is called home, it's going to take the Holy Ghost coming alongside us and enabling us to stand. In the middle of a wicked and untoward generation, if you expect to stand, you need this paraclete. You need the comforter. You need the Holy Ghost to enable you to stand. We cannot and must not think that we can make it in our own strength. But the Holy Ghost will empower us with heaven sent, supernatural state strength that will enable us to stand no matter what comes our way. Listen, the thing about courage, I can be courageous today at what I see, but I can lose courage in the middle of the fight. The thing about commitment is I can commit myself to running a marathon, but when I wake up in the morning and I don't feel like running, I can uncommit myself very quickly. You see, courage you can lose. Commitments can change. I can commit myself. I'm only going to eat so many calories on this day. But we ride by and see the hot sun on a Krispy Kreme. And there's that supernatural pull on the steering wheel. And we're committed to that more than we're committed to the just cause that we set out to with the day. I'm saying commitments may change. But I can tell you the Holy Ghost never changes. The Holy Ghost never changes. And if we're committed to Him, and if our hand is in His, He will lead us home, folk. He knows the way. He knows the path that we must take. He was sent from heaven to empower the church. And if He was sent from heaven, then that must mean He knows the way back. And He's working on the church, crafting us, molding us, conforming us to Christ. Amen. And leading us and guiding us step after step after step. Or sooner or later, these winding gravelly roads that are full of potholes and full of turns. If we keep walking with Him, sooner or later, these old broken down roads of flesh are going to turn into streets of gold. Amen. Going to turn in, amen, to Heaven's Boulevard and we're going to walk in victorious. But only if we stay with Him. Only if we stay with Him. Will He lead us and guide us home? Listen, I know tonight's been different. Just this very simple thought in this hour. So much wickedness, so much ungodliness. But more than ever before, we are called to stand up and to stand out. I was listening to a preacher, and I'm, I'm done. Listening to a preacher just the other day, an independent Baptist preacher. He talked about since the pandemic, five what he called mega churches in his 
in his area said five of them have closed down and there's four cell signs in their yard right now. Church has folded up. What one time was running 500, 600, 1,000 people, whatever their number was, don't know it. They're not just meeting somewhere else. They folded in the cards. They're done. Checked out. Done. Gone. Finished. There's so much compromise in this hour. There's so many that are turning aside and turning back. By the way, we must continue to stand for the cause of Christ. We must continue to stand up for what's right. I'll never forget the message Brother Mark Herridge preached some years ago about the prodigal son and the dad. Preached on the thought, don't sell the farm. That dad could have been depressed about losing his child and said, what's the use? It's over with. But if he had sold the farm, that child wouldn't have had any home to go back to. But because there was a father in the same place, Standing up, the Bible says, when the son was a great way off, he saw the father. What was the father doing? He was standing. Hallelujah. He was standing, looking for his son. Amen. When the world is falling to pieces around us, they're going to be looking for us. They're going to be looking for a church that's standing in the middle of chaos. We must be that church. We must be that people. We must continue to stand, stand courageously, stand committed, and stand with the Comforter. Amen. I pray tonight that faith has been built in your heart. Maybe you're discouraged. Maybe doubt has begun to creep into your mind. Maybe the enemy has been bombarding you and attacking you on multiple fronts. I don't know. But I do know this. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is simply to stand. Simply to stand. It may take all that you can muster up strength to stand. But when you stand, it tells God, I'm still here. It tells the enemy that you've not been able to take me out. You've not been able to knock me down. And it tells yourself, I'm still here. Sometimes the most spiritual thing that we can do is to stand. Tonight you may be weak. But I believe the Holy Ghost has come to pick you up. Place you back on your feet. And give you strength to stand another day. Give you strength to stand all the way home. Don't know where you're at on the spectrum of needs tonight. But I do know this. The Holy Ghost has been here since the onset of this service. And if you'll step out of your pew and make your way down to this altar. He's going to meet you here. And when you stand for Him. He is going to stand for you. Hallelujah. And He'll give you strength. He'll fill you with iron tonight that will enable you to stand no matter what comes your way. Hallelujah. Meet me. Meet the Holy Ghost in this altar tonight. Allow Him to do the work that He's come to do. Hallelujah.